culture that's responding to this, and there's a lot of uh, debate in, the, in that weird place called the internet. But it's, it's a, a growing problem that we need to address even as a church because it unnecessarily causes rivalries within the genders and a depreciation of the maleness and the femaleness uh, creates uh, a loss because there's uniqueness in both. And so I think it's helpful for us to understand what it is to be male and female so that when our children ask, Dad, what does it mean to be a man? We have an answer. Mom, what does it mean to be a woman? And that we have an answer. And given the nature of the confusion on manhood, I think it is good for us on Father's Day to think a little bit more deeply about it. And so this morning, I'm going to just really briefly highlight what could be many, many sermons on this theme. But just just highlight briefly uh, what manhood is, because it's something that exists independent of faith, and then think through a little bit what Christian manhood would be, and then see how it's passed from one father to another in the lives of David and his son Solomon. First, what is manhood? What is manhood? Well, I I found a definition that's not my own, that speaks in a way that would be maybe more helpful than what I might muster. But this definition is helpful. At the heart of mature masculinity is a sense of benevolence, responsibility to lead, provide for, and protect women in ways appropriate to a man's differing relationships. Now, what does this mean? It's a lot of words. But it's, I, want, I think it's helpful for us to see it's not an exhaustive definition, but it's intended to kind of clarify the most important things that make a man a man. It's important to see that this doesn't just extend to married people. You may be single, and your definition of manness still prevails in all kinds of relationships with other women. It should not be just the woman's responsibility to protect herself. It ought to be seen by every man in society the necessity of looking out for and caring for all women. That is a defining definition of what it means to be a man. But at its heart, masculinity is a sense. It's, it's this awareness that this is so. There's this sense that personal responsibility is involved to care for women in society or in relationships that you have with them. And see, a mature man will sense without a... a external compulsion, this responsibility to look out for the opposite sex. And as you would realize, this is a biblical truth. Because in Matthew 7, 12, the golden golden rule says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also for them, for this is the law and the prophets. Society itself understands this basic concept. So there is a responsibility to lead to provide and protect in ways that's appropriate for each relationship. 
Now, the word leading can be misunderstood. It can be very hard-sounding at times. But good leadership, in general, feels the responsibility to provide general direction and call other people to come along in that, in that way and in that direction of pursuit. Now, a mature man feels the pressure to make sure that the basic needs of other people are provided. This is a part of what makes a man a man. Now, a lot of these traits can be found in the world, and sadly, in some cases, unbelievers do some of these things better than even believers do. But what makes mankind, or manhood, excuse me, uniquely biblical or Christian is that it's, we're involved in moving people to know God. We're leading others in our sphere of influence to pursue a greater understanding of who God is. How do we know God who's spiritual? How do we know anything in life? Knowing well entails listening to trusted authorities and doing what they tell us to do, and over time we become aware in a unique way. And if we put ourselves into submissive structures, we will begin to understand what we didn't know before. And that's how we know God. It requires us to see Him and then submit ourselves to those who instruct us in the ability to understand and know God better than we do. It takes humility. Let me just think about this from a man perspective for a moment. What does it mean to learn something? What am I getting at? You know, we don't always see what we think we see, right? We think we know something about God, but it may be in truth something that we really, we're not really seeing, and that's not really the God that we think that we see. Think about it from this standpoint. Some of you here can see a deer at 200 yards in a stand of trees. I look and I see nothing. And at some level, there was a time when you didn't either. But it was through struggle, mentoring, that you began to recognize the dark ears and the white tail, and you saw the shape before you even saw the deer. But that didn't just happen. You were brought into knowing and a greater knowledge by getting into underneath of someone else who could lead you there. Provided that you have eyes to see, that the Spirit of God has opened your eyes to be able to see and understand the words of Scripture, you do need other people in your life, men, who can help hone those skills so that you can learn how to lead others to see God and to know Him. So that you can look for the shape of God in the pages and the words of Scripture. How you can look at David and see David putting himself in a place where he overcomes 
And look, that David is actually a picture of Jesus. It's not me mustering my own strength and conquering giants. It's Jesus who conquered all the giants. And being able to see and assess and see Jesus in the pages of Scripture is so critical. We're going to look at another example and just think about what it means to see. I just want to give one more example of what it looks like to see before we look at 1 Chronicles 28. Let's think automotive for a moment. We all drive cars, but very few of us truly know cars. To some, a car is a car. However, a skilled mechanic can open a hood and tell you about the exhaust manifolds, the cylinders, the valves, the leaders, the RPMs, and wow you with like what this car is. But even then, a skilled mechanic doesn't really know a car. I mean, I'm talking about the little sounds, the little burps in the system unless he were to live with the car for an extended period of time. Some people keep cars longer because they know the car, right? It's a little bit scary to go and buy a new car because you don't know the character of what you're getting. And that's what happens. A true knowing takes time to test the character. And it's in the same way a true knowing of God requires time with God. Time so that we learn his character. And then we can teach other people what we've come to know about God. So in the context of of this three verses, I want us to think about how we pass on this knowledge. From a father to a son, there's descriptions given here. In verse 9 and 10, we read in context, David is about ready to pass into eternity, and he's preparing his son for what challenges he's going to have ahead, and particularly the plan to build the temple. And in verse 9, we read, And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Be careful now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. And then David gives kind of like a plan for how this temple is going to be built in verses 11 through 19. And we won't read them all right now. But verse 20, he summarizes his thoughts, and he says in verse 20, then David said to Solomon, his son, be strong and courageous and do it. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed, for the Lord God, even my God, is with you. He will not leave you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the house of the Lord is finished. So how do we pass on a knowing and an understanding of God? First, as I've been arguing already, we have to know the God of our Father. It's exactly what he commanded his son Solomon. Know the God that I knew. 
Spend time with him. You think about the life of David. David had, at the end of his life, after conquests, he had failures, he had shame, he had honor. David understood what really mattered in life, and that was knowing God. But but David didn't really know God until he saw God be faithful to him through the years. David was not a perfect man. He sinned significantly. Yet he had a heart that always seemed to return to the Lord whenever his sin was pointed out. There was a sensitivity there. But even more, he had been through many battles of human opposition, and God had always been there. You know, knowing the thoughts of a person is an important part of really knowing that person. I don't truly know my wife on August 20th, 1999, like the way I know her now. I've observed her rituals. I've heard her speak. I've heard her forgive. I've seen her through her responses. And that's how it is with God. But you know, that's on a human level, it's deeper with Him. How do we know God who has chosen to reveal Himself through Scripture? We have to trust guides who have been there. The prophets who recorded the pages of Scripture knew God in ways we have not yet known God in our own lifetime. And they tell us that to know Him, we must do what the prophets tell us to do. We have to obey the commands of the Lord to fully understand His heart. And so the second way we pass this on is by serving Him with a whole heart and a willing mind. This is in the second part of that verse 9. To move from not seeing God requires a willing mind and an open heart. If we listen and we do what the people who know God in the Scriptures direct us to do, we're going to come to a fuller understanding of who He is. You see, He says, um, know the Lord of your Father and serve Him with a whole heart. I'm going to come back to that word serve in a moment. But think of the word whole heart here. The word literally whole literally means shalom or peace. And when you think of peace, what do you think of? You think of a relaxed state. Sitting on the beach in Jersey, maybe. Oh, a, a relaxed. You're not like tense. You're open. You're at peace. A heart that's enlarged. It's ready to receive instruction from God. And that fits with the willing mind. The word willing literally means a delighting mind. Serving God from the heart requires an openness and a delight to do all that God requires. And unless you do that, you're not really going to know God as He tells us about Himself. Himself. 
You have to experience his character by obedience. So when you open the scriptures, you're going to listen to teaching. You have to prepare your heart to be relaxed and say, Yes, Lord, what would you have me do? But we need to be honest with ourselves. God knows our heart. He knows if we're serving him or we're serving self. God searches the heart and he understands every plan and thought of man. And if you seek him, you like open your heart, you're going to find him. Just as David says to his son. He will be found of you. And this openness, this transparency is all about honesty. It's integrity. It's humility. And so we need to pursue that character that identifies itself with God to be honest about our hearts. Am I serving just to be seen by other people? Or am I serving God so that I might know Him better? What is it about? God knows our heart. And in verse 10, this development of commission is given. A a place that a test can occur whether or not Solomon will be obedient to the plan that God has placed before him. The word serve in verse 9 is really interesting, and I'm coming back to that word now. In this particular context, Solomon is specifically commissioned to build a temple for the worship of God. And what is really interesting about this is that Solomon is given directions on how to build it. Take some time this afternoon to read those verses. It would one day be called Solomon's temple, but it was ultimately God's plan. And at no point in the plan for this temple did Solomon, and this is really important to see, you've got to think about the whole life of Solomon. At no point in the plan and the instruction did Solomon ever find it difficult to follow another person's plan. And that is what service looks like. And this is how we come to know and understand God. It's by doing what He commands, not by doing what I want to do. And in this case, the plan is God's and it's passed through His Father. I tell you what, I'm a normal son who has at times looked at my father and said, I want to do it my way. But we have to listen to the heart of the father and not listen to our own way. David was, in fact, guiding him in the process of serving God. You know, serving is not serving if we refuse to do what our guides require of us, it's rebellion. And our ability to know God is directly proportional to the degree we submit ourselves to our trainer's instruction. And so we can't be satisfied with a surface-level Christianity. There is no neutral position where independent hearts learn unguided. We have the Holy Spirit, but we also have leaders within a church to instruct us and to lead us. 
We're dependent ultimately on Christ, but God gives apostles. He gives the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And we have to ask ourselves, do we have the integrity to open up our hearts to those whom God has given us? Those who instruct us, those who coach us, those who pastor us, those who show us the Scriptures. Do we listen with an enlarged heart or do we close our ears? God searches the heart. Ultimately, He knows. This is critical, importantly important, because if we don't learn this, we can't pass it on to others and help them come to a place of knowing God. But there's an encouragement here in this text, too. In verse 20, at the offside of the plan that's described in verse 20, there's encouragement to take courage in God's gracious calling as a man. So now I'm assuming here that, that you do have a heart that wants to know God. And you want to do what He commands. Solomon prayed for wisdom to carry out the obligations as king, but we need the encouragement. We need to not rely on our own understanding, but trust him and take refuge in his promises to pull us through, to carry out the plan for which he's called us as men. We need to appropriate the promises that God gives us. Verse 20, it says, Then David said to Solomon his son, Be strong and courageous and Nike, do it. Do not be afraid. Don't be dismayed. For the Lord God, even my God, is with you. He will not leave you or forsake you until all service of the house of the Lord is finished. God who calls you will also bring you to a place of completion. But we have to do it. And so by putting into practice the removal of sin as the Holy Spirit convicts our heart is a part of the do it. We have to take it to the cross and believe that that sin is forgiven and we can move on and we can boldly go where we ought to go for the glory of God. But when you do that, you'll have the opportunity to understand more clearly the heartbeat of God, that He is holy, that He is righteous, and He will give you joy through it. You have to prove Him true. So by putting into practice this removal, we have the opportunity to learn firsthand how God works. So passing on biblical manhood requires that we, first of all, have an understanding of who we are. I'm going to finish with this quote. At the heart of biblical mature masculinity is a sense of benevolent responsibility to lead, provide for, protect women in ways appropriate to man's differing relationships so that others are drawn into a true knowing of God. Do we know God? Or do we know something about God? 
How well do I know my father as a child? You know, I didn't really know my father until I became a pastor and understood clearly the struggles that he dealt with and observed the character of his heart as he imitated his heavenly father, as he struggled to provide for his family in difficult circumstances, it wasn't until then that I truly understood my father. And it's not going to be that way with God until we start doing the character of God. It's not until then that we will truly know God until we start living out His Holy Spirit within our lives. And as we mature, there are always those under us with whom we can show what we have learned about God. And in your personal growth and your walk with Him, may you have a whole heart, a willing mind to know Him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we know you to be a gracious and compassionate God. And when your children stray, you are there, calling, pulling, pleading, and bringing them back. Lord, help us not to see the instruction from the Word of God as Mount Sinai and the law, but that we would see it as the very grace and love that hung on Mount Calvary. May you mold us into your Son's image so that we might impart true manhood to those around us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.